Here we go in three, two, one. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. Make your bed. Simple, not easy. Is that how it goes? Anyways, John Zico recommended this book. Um, short read. So John's got a quick spiel about it. This is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash make your bed. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash make your bed. John. Hey, Jeremy. We've talked about this book, or at least I've touched on this book over the past couple of years regarding uh, leadership and, and theories. And really this book, Make Your Bed by Admiral McRaven, is about the little things that a person can do to kind of better their life. And then we're going to take a little bit further and, and see these lessons for how they can affect a leader uh, and to make you a more effective leader. So I'm going to dive right into the book. <clears throat> start off uh, Start off by making your bed. In May 17, uh, 2014, Admiral William McRaven addressed the graduating class of the University of Texas at Austin on their commencement day. Taking inspiration from the university's slogan, what starts here changes the world, he shared the 10 principles he learned during his Navy SEAL training that helped him overcome challenges not only in his training and long naval career, but throughout his life. And he explained how anyone can use these basic lessons to change themselves, the world, for the better. So this book you can actually find online, and there's going to be a link um, in the show notes for the commencement address, address that he gave back in 2014. It's a nice 20-minute long speech, and he just goes over these life lessons kind of briefly in a speech, but then the book elaborates on those lessons a little bit and gives stories where he learned those lessons from and, and how he applied these things to his daily life. So we're really going to just touch on about half the book. Uh, Jeremy and I have kind of split them up a little bit. We'll, we'll discuss them. And and then we want, you know, if, if the listener or anybody wants to pick up the book, it's a incredibly quick read or listen. Uh, I think most of the time, I think the first time I picked it up, I read it in two days with a lot of distractions. Um, and throughout, you know, the last couple of years since I've read it, uh, it'll take me, you know, an hour or two to go through it. Uh, he's followed up recently with The Hero Code, which is a very similar book about how to be a quote unquote hero. doesn't necessarily mean that you have to put on a cape and jump from building to building, but how can you do the little things in your life to be a hero to others? And really that's what this book is about as well. It's the little things in your life that will help you become a better person. And if you want to be a leader, how you can become a better leader. The first chapter starts out the same as the title of the book. It's make your bed, start your day with a task completed. For me, it's what is the attention to detail say about you as a leader? And, you know, I was, I was writing up some notes and thought about it a little bit. And I, I, I talk about it when we look at our football team or we look at other teams and, uh, when a team's doing really, really well, it's the attention to the detail that allows that team to succeed. And and that's something that I think we as athletic trainers and, and really people can learn from is if you take uh, great, great care to, to view the, the small detail and things and, and really, uh, you know, give a good attention to the detail, it's the little things over time that uh, grow into the big things. So, you know, the, the chapter really talks about why he makes his bed and just kind of highlighted some, uh, some notes from the book. Uh, you search for something that can give you solace, a sense of pride in, a, in an oftentimes ugly world. Daily life needs a sense of structure. 
Sometimes the simple act of making your bed can give you the lift you need to start your day and provide you with the satisfaction to end it right. So I thought about that, you know, when you get to a hotel room and you, you find a hotel, the bed is nicely made and you've had a long day of whether it's at convention or things like that. And you get into a nice, comfortable bed because it's been made and not a mess. Um, you know, it makes you feel good. But if you're the person that actually does that each and every morning, number one, it's a small task that adds up over time. If you've had a completely crappy day, uh, you know that at least you've done one thing right. And then you can end your day with that in your back pocket. Uh, and that really helps, you know, people get through days when they're really, really tough. Uh, and it's the little things over time that actually add up and help you become more successful person and leader. Jeremy, do you have any thoughts on that that chapter? So give me some practical application for athletic trainers in the office. Obviously, we all know we could make our bed or we could exercise first in the morning, that kind of thing. So for athletic trainers, what is, what are some of those first item, start your day with the wins that you could do in the office and athletic training related? You know, I, I think about it when I look through my kit. Um, my kit is incredibly organized. You know, the tape is stacked really nice. It's, um, you know, all my supplies are in the places I know where they're going to be. Uh, and, and it's, I do that at the end of every game. I do that throughout the week. So on Friday night, after a long night, I'll throw my kit onto a table, open it up and replace everything there. So it's the little things right there that keeps my kit organized for when those emergency situations arise. I'm not digging through a kit looking for scissors. I'm not digging through a kit looking for gauze or uh, band-aids, you know, and if somebody were to take a look at my kit that knows nothing about athletic training or knows nothing about emergency medicine and they see a nice organized kit, my hope is that they would view me as that type of person as well and give me um, the ability to, to provide care for that person. Um, there's, you know, th it doesn't always happen my kit does become messy. It gets thrown around in the back of a van or a car or on the bus. Um, you know, I've, I've gone to pick up my kit before and everything's spilled out. And of course I don't put everything back right away, but you know, when I take the time throughout the days or throughout the weeks to realign everything, I know that in an emergency situation, I'm going to be able to handle things really, really well. Um, and the other thing is, you know, how do you use different supplies around your your athletic training facility. You know, do you put together your heel and lace pads a certain way? Uh, or do you slap them together at the last minute? You know, is that taking up time in your day or is that providing you with more time uh, to care for more patients or more student athletes? I, I think about a lot as that discipline, you know, in an everyday uh, life and especially in the athletic training room to care for those things because if you're caring for those things, you're most likely gonna do a really good job at caring for a student athlete or a patient. All right, so in the beginning, you mentioned Hero Code. I know Rick Cox on Twitter recommended that book as well once we started talking about this. Um, so as far as the start your day with a task completed, and paying attention to the details is, is kind of where I'm focusing here. And it goes back to extreme ownership and everything like that is, you know, if I go out to practice and the coolers, the the water hoses, we, we call them chillers, so the, the uh, water boys, frios, whatever it is that hooks up to the, water hose so it has a continuous feed if the water hose is stretched out so that it's putting a bind on the hose and you know or it's leaking that kind of thing well that's essentially my fault because I didn't pay attention to the detail and train the kids to pay attention to detail when they set it up or moved it so that it's not working well so 
that kind of thing as far as paying attention to detail is important for me as I, as I realize that's because I didn't show them. So let's go over there and show them. Say, hey, guys, this is what we do. This is why we do it. Here's how you can fix it. Let's do it. Uh, as far as starting the day with the task completed, this morning I was going to get up and run, um, but I didn't. And the thing is, like last night I was feeling pretty bad. Like, I don't know, I just, my eyes were hurting, my throat was hurting, head was hurting. And I think part of it is, was just like lack of, lack of rest. And so I know John, we were talking beforehand, you said you got up at four in the morning with the baby and then just started working on stuff that you're kind of behind on. And it's just one of those things for me, getting up super early just to prove a point to somebody else, it doesn't work. And so during during the summer, um, I took a a course, uh, an online instructor certification course. And the only way I could do that was to get up early. So I got up at five o'clock most of the summer. I would get up and run. And then by the time I got home, you know, my, I was fully aware mentally. So then I, I had time to sit down at the computer, work for an hour or whatever it was on the lesson. And, you know, and I was like, hey, cool. I got this thing knocked out. I got, you know, all my lessons done, all my, everything done. It's not, I'm not sitting here trying to concentrate on one thing while three kids are, you know, doing one thing and another kid doing something else, whatever it is. Or I'm not taking time where we could be swimming or playing because I got up early and took care of this. So I've kind of been back and forth. Like, is it really good to wake up early? Is it really not good? And I think it's all situational. Like if you have something, if you have stuff you need to do, then, you know, hey, get up and make it that priority. But I definitely noticed a difference whenever I got up early, got those, those tasks done, and then had more freedom throughout the day. You said you had to have rest. And, and that's going to make you a more effective person. doesn't mean that everybody has to wake up at, at four in the morning. Um, you know, I think some people will fall into that, that it's, it's better if they get up and they feel accomplished, but then they hit a wall at two o'clock. It, it's tough. It really is. But if you set your own task as my, ta- my, my initial task tomorrow is actually to rest and to sleep in and get that good rest. So I'm more effective then rest and relax on that and, and take that as, as a task accomplished so that you can go on as, as a more effective person throughout the day. Don't feel like you have to wake up in the morning because everybody else does or somebody posted on social media. They may post it on social media and go straight back to bed. <laughs> so you have no idea what's going on. It's okay if your task that's going to make you feel better and make you a more effective person is to sleep in until a certain amount. That's completely okay. Yes, exactly. That was my point. Just much more words. All right, chapter two. You can't go it alone. So he really talks about in this chapter, he went through Navy SEAL training and he talks about the the boat crews that he has uh, or that he experienced. You know, the the boat crew is six men and they run onto the beach with a boat on their heads. And uh, if you you start losing people because of injuries, things like that, uh, you realize that you can't actually hold the boat and the boat is really important to Navy SEALs and in, in their training. So he really, he, he emphasizes why it's so important to have a strong network. And he uses that example of the boat crew, but then he elaborates a little bit long, a little bit more throughout his career. He was injured in a parachuting accident, uh, I believe around 9-11. And he was really laid up in a hospital bed for months. Um, he's even 
gone on to explain in his latest book about his battles with cancer while he was out in Afghanistan and Iraq uh, leading those forces. Um, he, he revealed actually that he was like back and forth from Texas getting treatment, going back to Afghanistan uh, while the hunt for bin Laden was, was going on. And uh, like almost after they, they caught him and that whole thing went down, he went back to Memorial uh, or not Memorial um, went back to um, Austin to get, yeah, MD Anderson to, to get treatment. Uh, and he was back and forth, but he really talks about his life and the people who are in it, his network of individuals that have helped him become successful. But, you know, it's, it's the people that have, have really challenged him, but also really been there the whole time that have made him a successful person. And I, I, I wrote down my, my initial notes were, were family and, you know, the family and the, the, the people around you who give you the strength internally uh, to succeed is your own network and you cannot go it alone. And, and I know a lot of us have gone, gone it alone and, you know, it's not a great feeling. Sometimes you feel like you need to, but um, you know, if you don't have a good network around you, things become really tough, really quick. And that's not a good place to be. So, so many times when I talk on here, I'm talking about uh, family you know, like you said, because we're foster parents, I have three biological sons. I have two foster daughters now. Um, we've just had our second foster daughter for a week and two days. And so it's really been a huge adjustment. However, we've had many people like send PayPal, Venmo, whatever it is, some money just so that we can buy food because with five kids, it's a lot different than four kids, one of them, you know, all of them basically you've raised from babies, whereas one that's two and a half years old coming into the situation, you're having to learn the words and the, her needs and things like that. And <clears throat> it is really, really tough. And there's no way that Sarah could do it by herself. She, she could, she'd be much more likely to be able to do it by herself than me. Because the other day I was putting our, our newest foster daughter to bed and she was basically just crying herself to sleep. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't take this. Like I'm sitting there and reading and praying and um, talking with her and, and that kind of thing. And just trying to make her feel comfortable going to bed. And she's just like, hoo, 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 until she literally falls asleep. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And then Sarah's like, she's still adjusting, Jeremy. She's still adjusting. So there's no way I can do it alone. And then all the people that have stepped in and helped, right? And just before that, Sarah got into a car accident. I took pictures of the axle. It, it's all sorts of jacked up underneath that tire. Uh, both sides are all scratched up, banged up. And so the car will probably be totaled. And again, I we didn't have a vehicle to get everybody from one place to the next, and we still don't. We now have two vehicles that can we could cobble together everybody getting to one place at one time. But that's because... A family member said, hey, we have an extra vehicle we're not using, right? And for me, it's like I, there was nothing – like I couldn't have planned that. I couldn't have said, oh, hey, don't worry. If anything happens, my dad has an extra vehicle. He can let me borrow. It's really just a matter of, hey, we need help. And people stepped up. And then I think one of the ones further on, we'll talk about encouragement, but um, Kelly Salter, your friend there in – uh, Michigan, she sent us some more cookies for Cookie Tuesday uh, just to encourage us. You know, and again, those that network of encouragement 
is fantastic for look you know, it was seven cookies right it's not that big of a deal but there was a note in there there was a gift card in there to to buy some diapers but it was also the thoughtfulness and the continued encouragement that makes a huge difference and says we are not alone we are not by ourselves and then you know obviously here at the at the school I worked at a high school by myself I was the only athletic trainer at a what is now a 6A high school, which is the biggest uh, high school. So it's 25, 20, 2,200 kids plus in Texas. And it sucked. I was by myself. So any decision I made, it was by myself. There was nobody to bounce things off of, nobody to back me up. It was early in my career. I would never, ever work there again. I would never be in that situation again. I just wouldn't because you can't go at it alone. Yeah, you know, with athletic training, our, our network is so incredibly strong and robust. And that was, uh, I'm in the middle of uh, potential career change. And uh, as many know, I've, I've left my position or I'm leaving my position at the high school. And it was nerve wracking. It was scary, it's, as it should be. Uh, but my family here, Jenny, our, our children, it made that transition, this transition that I'm currently in so much more easy. But then, you know, the emails rolled in, the text messages rolled in, the phone calls rolled in, uh, the amount of people within our, our network, athletic trainers in my area, athletic trainers across the state and across the country have, have reached out to make sure that number one, I'm okay, that, you know, I'm not leaving uh, because of something wrong that happened or, you know, that I'm, I'm getting fired or things like that. No, I'm, I'm taking a big leap. I'm, I'm doing something risky, but I, I'm doing something hopefully that'll help healthcare in in Michigan and you know who who knows what's going to happen but I want to make sure that uh, or you know people had made sure that I was okay and I didn't really think about that at first I just I was taking it one step at a time and and resigning and and being with my family Uh, but you know to show to see that people cared about me and and do care about me um, that made the, the decision so much more easy and it's not an easy decision, but to know that I have people behind me that care about me and, and listen and, and want to learn has been an incredibly great feeling. Uh, but that's because we have a great network. It's the people we've built up around us that are positive individuals. And if you don't have many people around you, if you have negative individuals around you, it's not going to be an easy ride. And that's really the true lesson in this chapter is make sure you have a good network. And, uh, you know, if you're, you're going somewhere, you're going to all paddle together. Chapter four, life's not fair. Drive on. How do you deal with adversity? We talked about, and you, you said, I don't know if I really want to do this chapter. And, you know, I, I don't, I didn't want it either, but there's one thing to be said with our profession is the ability for us to be incredibly negative and to commiserate with the daily struggles of athletic training and to say that I've never done that, I'd be, I'd be guilty. Of course I've been there. I've been in the, the, the expo center where I'm just bitching and complaining about why we're not getting paid well or whatever, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, it didn't do anything for me. It made me feel maybe a little bit better, but it really didn't at the end of the day. And it didn't help me with my profession. It didn't help me with a salary. None of that stuff changed. 
And if you have a better attitude, if you try to foster a better attitude around you and you're, if you go back to your network and talk to those individuals and try to lift people up and, and understand that like life's really going to be tough sometimes, can you, can you deal with it? Or, you know, are, are you just going to roll over? This chapter talks about the sugar cookie and no, not the great sugar cookies that Kelly has sent us, but <laughs> the idea of uh, the, in Navy SEAL training, they, they have to get wet. They run into the surf, they, they roll around and then they roll around on the beach. And this is at 530 in the morning when the water is 50 degrees. And, and then they have to go about their whole day with sand literally everywhere. And, you know, how that creates chafing and all those things, he, you know, understand, or he at least uh, explains how you understand that adversity really does hit you, hit you hard. And, and how do you deal with it? Are you going to quit? Are you going to go over, ring the bell? Or are you going to embrace it? Are you going to embrace the attitude and, and deal with it? Because, you know, if you do deal with those things, you're probably going to have a better outlook on, on, on life. Uh, you know, Jeremy, we talked about your car accident or Sarah's car accident and you showed those pictures to me and it, it could be really easy to just roll over and say, the world hates me. They, they dealt me this, the, you know, this is the card that I've been dealt and I have to really bitch about it and that's okay. But what are you going to do about it? What are we going to do about it as, as, as a network and, and as a profession or what are you going to do it as a person? Are you going to, you know, go on and get a new car or are you going to complain that the axle has fallen off and really at the end of the day, it's, it's not going to get you anywhere in, in two different ways. That's exactly it. It's, it's like, Hey, we're okay. We got this. Let's just keep moving. Right. You know, and there is a place for a trusted confidant to, you know, have those griping sessions, that kind of thing. Cause it allows you to vent, allows you to get your feelings out allows you to move and, and process that. And so it's like, uh, all right, you know, Sarah, I understand you're, Sarah is my wife. Sarah, I understand you're, you know, frustrated and you're kind of shaky. It's okay. We'll get through this. Like, you know, what, what we literally did is I rode my bike to work for three days so that Sarah could drive my car. And it was, a, and she had to call her parents because we have five kids. And, uh, well, no, at that point we, we had, we have four kids, but they're, uh, car seats right so the my, my car is a honda crv if it seats five including the driver so essentially we had to leave one kid at home to go pick up the other ones drop the other ones off and then do some sort of mix and match or you know hey you know parents can you pick them up and hang on to them until i can get the older one that kind of thing and it's really just again about that network and about the okay we got this just one step at a time that's all that's all so we're going to bounce ahead to chapter seven it's stand up to the bullies. And what he talks about in this chapter is sometimes you're really going to have to choose the difficult right over the easy wrong. And I know we're faced with this daily. Like with kids, it's are you going to just allow them to not eat their dinner because you don't want to put up, put, um, you know, put up with the fight at the dinner table? Or are you going to stand up and, and say something or, you know, hold them accountable to that? That's, that's one of our fun uh, things that we're going through is, you know, our, our five-year-old is he'll get halfway through and now I'm done. I want to go see TV. I want to watch TV. Like, no, nope, we're going to, we're going to hold steadfast on this because if you go all the way back to chapter one, it's the little things over time that turns out to be a big thing. 
And that we, you know, we want to foster that within him where he's finishing something, especially his dinner where he needs to grow. Uh, but you know, it's, we, we want to make sure that we're doing the right things, but in doing those things, you have to understand that, you know, in striving to choose the right over the wrong, you have to be okay with the internal dilemma that is going to go on inside of you because you're going to be in a, in a bigger situation. How do you handle as an athletic trainer, how do you handle, uh, you know, somebody who has a concussion? Are you going to diagnose that person? Are you going to put them through a, a concussion protocol? Are you going to send them off to the right physician? Or are you going to say, I can manage this one without telling anybody and hopefully in a day or so they get better uh, or, you know, with an ankle injury, uh, you know, we can pop some ice on it and maybe in a day you'll feel better. Or are you going to treat the person a little bit more effectively? Um, you know, we're constantly faced with these decisions that we have to make. And with those decisions, it's choosing either the easy right or the difficult wrong. Um, I'm sorry, the difficult right or the easy wrong. Uh, and how do you go about those? The more you go through those as a leader, you potentially could be seen as an enemy. You could be seen as a difficult person, somebody who doesn't want to, uh, you know, lay down for the coach or whatever, but you're making the incredibly difficult right decision for the health and safety of that student athlete. And that's, that's a lesson that I picked up from that chapter is you have to be okay with making those types of decisions and the choices that are you're faced with so that you are a more effective practitioner uh, or a or more effective leader. Most often on social media, I would see athletic trainers talking about the coach did this, the coach did, did this. And I've had my issues with coaches and, you know, I'm at a point in my career to where I'm like, eh, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like you can say what you're going to say, but I'm going to do what I'm going to do because this is what's right. You know, and um, a couple years ago at a coach, <laughs> it was halftime of varsity football game and, a player sprained his ankle, and so I was like, okay, well, we'll check him out at halftime. And then he's like, oh, can you go? Can you go? I was like, we're going to check him out at halftime. And then at halftime, I was like, hey, coach, he can't go. Well, your your injury evaluations need to be more user-friendly or something like that. I'm like, coach, this is what he can do. This is what he cannot do. He's not able to walk pain-free. There's no way he can go out there and run without causing more injury. I'm like, so I just walked away. You know, that was my standing up was, this is what's going to happen. Walk away. I don't need to argue with you. We're just, just walking away. Because ultimately, it's mine and the kid's decision, not the coach's. And, you know, things have changed. The coaches are pretty supportive now. Like, hey, can he go? Can he go? And if I say no, they say, okay. You know, they find somebody different. They just need to know because they need to fill that hole more than we have to have that one kid back out there right now like okay well we just need to fill that hole we need to make sure there's somebody out there and you know like you said thinking also about financial stuff obviously I'm, I'm a Dave Ramsey guy we've our house is completely paid off we are 100% debt free I'm 40 years old and don't know owe any money to anybody for anything and it's because we made a lot of hard decisions not to go to fast food not to go to restaurants not to buy new cars you know, I, I drive a 2002 Honda CRV. My wife drove a 2003 Honda Pilot. So that's why her car is probably going to be totaled because it's almost 20 years old. But we made those choices to drive those older vehicles and not borrow money because now we could do whatever we want. Now we don't have a house payment. We don't have any sort of payment whatsoever um, because we've 
chosen to stand up to those consumer media saying, hey, you need to buy this, you need to buy this. No, we don't. We're going to choose the harder right versus the easy wrong. It's, it's the idea of pursuing what is meaningful, not what is expedient, right? You, you want to you, you sacrifice who you are today for who you could be tomorrow. And those sacrifices is uh, how are you going to deal with the internal dilemma that is created when you're making those choices? Um, and we're faced with them. We're, we're faced with them in, in personal life and in our practice as athletic trainers. The more you, you do them, the more comfortable you feel in, in making those decisions, those hard decisions. Uh, and the more, you know, the easier you, you have it standing on your laurels, like when you deal with a coach that is yelling at you, oh, it's just a it's just a concussion. I've had 20 of those when I played back in the day, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, listen, it's not the same anymore. And <laughs> I'm going to give you some reasons why. And I know it's an easy decision to say, maybe I won't, maybe I won't. I see the athlete coming off the, the sidelines 30 yards down and they're wobbly. I can act like I didn't see it or I can go over and talk to that athlete. And then knowing that I'll have to have a conversation with coach that is not going to, not going to agree with me. That's a very hard decision to make that we all make on a daily basis. It's, are you able to continue making those decisions when nobody's watching as well? So that was a, that was a fun chapter. I know it's a little bit shorter and we, we rambled on probably more than the chapter was written, but um, I, I thought it was important to talk about it because we're, we're all faced with those things personally and in uh, our professional life. All right. Chapter eight says rise to the occasion. What dark times have you gone through in your life? Um, you know, as I, as I go through this, <clears throat> this last week, it was pretty tough. Like it was pretty tough on me to make that adjustment you're in the middle of football season which is again very energy draining and time consuming because you got football and volleyball um and then I already have four kids one of them being a foster and then we're adding in another foster so then all the appointments so then I take probably like five or six half days in a row so that I can be there to help for that transition so then things kind of pile up at work and you know I'm not getting things done so it was it was pretty tough but one of the really really dark times the hardest time in recent years was when our first set of foster girls left so it was um july probably three years ago um was we had two girls they were with us only for 20 something days but that same day that i found out that they were leaving i also found out like my job here was in question because some of the stuff that happened um and so it was really really tough time. Uh, and I didn't have, I couldn't do anything, but like everything was just out of my hands and it felt, it felt hopeless, but it, it, for me as a Christian, it's those times that drive me closer to God saying, God, I can't handle this. What can you do or what, how are you going to guide me through this? How are you going to be the light in the darkness in this dark time for me? And that's it for me. Obviously, you know, Sarah is an encouragement. She helps point me that direction. But I had to keep going. I had to move on. I had to say, okay, I messed up. Let me see what we can do to fix this situation. I can't do anything to keep those girls with me. And what can I learn from that? And it's just, it was really a matter of, well, let's not repeat those same mistakes over here. 
and let's learn to deal with your feelings, emotions, and grief and understand what foster care really is. And it's just, you're going to have those really tough times, but then all of these lessons fit back together, the network and the encouraging and uh, things like that. So John, you wanted to talk about chapter nine, which is give people hope. How do you encourage people when things get rough? And it's really, I want to discuss a little bit the different leadership styles or theories that best suit followers. I think all of us have our strengths as leaders and how do we, how do we motivate people? And the one thing that I, I learned recently is that my motivation skills may not be the best for everybody. Uh, it doesn't mean that I'm an interface type of person or I'm, you know, a big rah-rah person. I don't really think I am, but I, I probably have been in my past. I know so when you look at coaches, some coaches are really rah-rah and it's, it's you know, you got to get up for the game and everybody's got to scream and shout and, you know, but how does that affect everybody on the team? It's picking and choosing and learning the necessary skills, but also what the people who are following you need as well. So having an open ear, listening to them, how do they need to be led? You know, if I, if I didn't go about work and say, I need this or that, then I'd be pretty disgruntled. I would be less motivated to, to continue as, as an athletic trainer, I'd be upset all the time, but you know, I, I, took it upon myself to go speak to my, my boss and say, I needed this and this and that. And that helped me become a better athletic trainer. But when people need help, how are you going to give them hope? Cause really that's what people are looking for when they need help. Sometimes they're stuck in a rut or sometimes they're in a situation like Jeremy just spoke about and how do they need to be best motivated? Cause sometimes motivation could re- be you know, rub the wrong way. If, if you come at me a certain way and I'm, I'm feeling a certain way, then it's definitely going to rub me wrong and I'm going to scoff at it and, and push back a little bit more. But sometimes if people are more encouraging, you know, I'm, I'm more apt to, to listen and follow along or to feel better about myself. But there's also times where I need that kick in the butt. You know, I need that, that kick in the butt to say, Hey, if you don't change things now, things will get incredibly difficult. And, uh, you know, that's not a good thing to be, to be around or to have as part of your person. So it's, it's communicating with individuals, people are around you, people who you work with, people who uh, you, you lead. How can you become a more effective leader? Not for just each individual person, but the whole, everybody that's around you going back to that network, how can you be a better motivator for those individuals who you encounter on a day-to-day basis? So I've talked a lot about the BFR that we got from Owens Recovery Science, Delphi unit. And my oldest son, he likes to test out all the the stuff that we got. You know, we got compacts, he was doing it and the foam rollers, everything like that. Everything he just wants to test out and, you know, experience is a lot like me in that way. Like I, I raised my hand, hey, yeah, I'll try it out. I'll be the test dummy for this thing. Sarah's like, are you sure you want them to swing you off of a tree while hanging from a rope? Yeah, sure, let me try it out, you know, whatever. And so my oldest son, he wanted to try it, and we were. I put it on his quad, we're doing squats. And so for him, I'm like, son, you need to squat down because he's, he's trying to just do a quarter squat so that he could get the rep done so he can count the 30 or 15 or whatever it is. And so I have to slow down and realize 
how can I encourage him to do the right thing without being some sort of like, no, that one doesn't count. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Because, you know, he's just there doing it for fun, just testing it out. And it really is, how can I encourage him to do the right thing? And that's different from, you know, the kid that just found out, hey, he tore his heel. But at the same time, it's not like, hey, it's okay to be upset. I, I say this all, almost all the time. A kid has some sort of injury that's going to require surgery. Is Look, it's okay to be upset. It's okay to be mad. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to question why. You know, those are normal feelings and emotions. And, you know, you can come talk to me about it. You can ask one of these other athletes that, that's gone through this, right? And it, it really sucks, but it's okay. And I think saying it's okay, acknowledging that up front is a really good way to to offer hope to those injured athletes. Because one, the, one of the things that really bothers me is when my students be like, oh, you'll be all right, or one of the coaches, oh, you'll be all right. You have no idea what's going on with this kid. Don't tell them they're going to be all right. Talk to them. Tell them, hey, that sucks. I'm, I'm here beside you. I'm your friend. Because their leg is broken. They're not going to just be all right. Hey, you'll be okay. Or, hey, you'll be back next month. No, they won't be back next month. They won't be back for nine months, right? They need to begin to process this and don't live on those false hopes, but say, hey, this is the situation. We'll help you. We'll be right here. We'll, we'll walk through it with you. Um, and one of the big things, you know, my buddy Sean Reedy, he's out in San Antonio. He just asked me, hey, we're looking for somebody to speak about burnout. Who do you have? And a lot of athletic trainers need some hope right now is a difficult time for a lot of athletic trainers with so many sports and seasons and they're just feeling that weight and the burden of everything that's going on and there's so much more time left in the year and so again there's you need hope as an athletic trainer hopefully when you're listening to this that you've heard some of the other ones where we talked about um like john just said he went and talked to his boss and said i need this this and this or like me last week, I said, Sophia, this is what's going to, this is what's happening. I'm going to take these days off. And then why don't you make sure you schedule a day off so that you have time to rest and recover because you've been picking up some slack for me. Right. So I took those days off because that's what I needed for my family. But I also offered that same hope to her that she's not just always here grinding because she is a single female with no kids. And so sometimes, or a lot of times, those people that don't have uh, families like that are kind of dumped on, saying, oh, well, you got you don't have any other obligations. You don't have anything else to do. You can pick up the slack. Well, no, that's not fair. I expect her to work the same amount as me, me to work the same amount as her. You know, and if I take days off, okay, that's fine. Take them off. But offer that hope as well. So I think there's, there's a lot there where you can offer hope. And for me, it's taken a long time um, to get there. And, and maybe... A lot of it is because of this podcast, the conversations we have, uh, and the, these leadership series, um, and and you. Okay, so so let me ask you this real quick. When we're talking to Doctor Matt Kutz, John, I would say Doctor Matt Kutz, Kutz, and you said, well, how did you say his name? I think I said Kutz, Kutz, Kutz. Now I'm now I'm oh, questioning see? myself. Yeah, I know. I was thinking about this earlier. You said it one way, and I said it the other, and I never asked him, and he never really said one or the other and so um 
anyways, in our conversation with him, he talked about when he's at a leadership workshop, he'll say, okay, uh, I think it's L-E-A-D. He said, what's well, a leadership word that starts with L and then all 200 people go put a word up there. And then E, all 200 people go put a word up there. Okay, so now we have to come up with a working definition that includes all of these. Well, what leadership style that incorporates 800 or 1,000 words or whatever it is? Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. We'd have to find a style that offers hope and encouragement to that person. But then at the same time, also knowing when we need to take a step back. So this is my word of encouragement to you listening to the Sports Medicine Broadcast is that you are not alone. There are people who are in a similar situation. They're not in the same situation. They're in a similar situation. So reach out and ask for help. Tell somebody. Make a plan uh, to take some time off or whatever it is. But Or reach out to me, maybe I or John, and we could point you in the in a, in a right direction, but find that close circle and say, Hey, I need some help. You're not alone. Yeah, absolutely. If, if people need that help, you know, reach out. And I know I talked about commiserating and, and not falling into that trap because we all have, and that's okay. If you need that time to express those feelings, to discuss something, my, my charge to you is be ready to do something as well. But if you need help, definitely please, please reach out and, and, and seek that help from your network. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's sometimes where people find the hope. Um, I do want to touch on the, the motivation styles a little bit. And, you know, we talked about it a few seconds. But if you think you're a great motivator, if you think you have a tactic that works for everybody and anyone, try it on your partner. Try it on your spouse because you'll learn very, very quickly that it's probably not the right thing and you're going to have to learn how to become a better motivator for everybody. Uh, just because people listen to you doesn't mean that they're actually really listening. Um, so learning different styles to communicate, learning different styles to motivate people is incredibly important if you want to become a leader. Uh, and, and you have to seek out the no, the people who say no to you too. You have to keep those things uh, uh, to ground you as an individual, because if you just keep going along with the yes man, then you're really not going to be a great leader. And, you know, you'll, you'll soon find out that people won't want to listen to you anymore and your motivation techniques aren't great. So be ready to change things if you need to. So I was going to say, we talked about most of the book and we left out a few chapters so that people, if they want to, pick up the book and, and keep it by their bedside if they really want to learn how to make your bed, but how to make small changes uh, in, a, in everyday life, both in personal, professional, so you can become a more effective leader. And I'm going to read the back of the book just to give you a little bit more background and so you understand a little bit where we're coming from. If you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride and will encourage you to do another task and another, and another. By the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that the little things in life matter. If you can do the little things right, you will never do the big things. You will never do the big things wrong. And that's the back of the book. And um, it's definitely one of my favorite books. And I was talking to Jenny about it just a few minutes ago, right before we jumped on. And I, I she said, are you ready to give this 
you know, talk. Did you go through all your notes? And I said, actually, no, uh, but I've read this book enough and I feel pretty confident that I could pick it up and, and discuss every chapter as we need to, because it's such an easy and quick read. And it's actually quite fun as well. I highly recommend the audible version where General or Admiral McRaven reads it himself. And so there's always something different whenever you hear the person who wrote the book, who lived the stories, read them. And so, you know, just hearing that, I listened to it while I was running. I saw, I listened to it again, like just clips of it, uh, of each chapter last night while I was putting down our youngest foster daughter. And it's definitely something that you could easily go back to and over and over again, like John said. And I know John mentioned the YouTube speech, so we'll have a link to that in the show notes. This is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash make your bed, or you can... Uh, probably just search on YouTube for Admiral McRaven, U- University of Texas commencement speech. Uh, and it, you'll probably find it pretty easily that way as well. I encourage everybody to pick up this book. And if you enjoy it, pick up the next one, The Hero Code by Admiral McRaven. Uh, some really good life lessons. And it's, uh, like I said, easy read, a lot of fun. And he's got some really good stories in there. So there, when we first started talking about this book, I put it on Twitter and Facebook, social media, something. And there's somebody that told me, you know, they picked it up and read it in one night. And I can't remember who that person is right now because a lot has happened since then. But uh, it really is a simple, easy read or easy listen. Uh, So check it out. And then I'll have to check out Hero Code and go from there. Obviously, if you have been listening to the Sports Medicine Broadcast for long, you know how to get a hold of John. Twitter is his main focus because... He's trying to minimize the distractions so that he can focus on his new things he's got going on and really spend that time there at, at the house with his family. And if you've noticed me, I've been kind of MIA on social media. I tend to log out on the weekends and then try not to log in until I absolutely have to. Um, for re- for that same reason, is to, is to focus and uh, to avoid some of that negativity, but it also offers me and others hope. When I join, when I'm on there, so on Twitter, look for John, look for me, reach out and connect to us that way. Uh, you can send us a DM or or tag us or whatever, and and then that way we'll see the notification. So I appreciate everyone that listens to the Sports Medicine Broadcast that shares it, um, either watches on Facebook, on YouTube, or listens to the podcast, or even just reads through the the post that accompanies the. Um, the podcast release. So thank you. Thank you for allowing us to be part of your journey as an athletic trainer. And again, reach out to John on Twitter for anything like that. We got some partners, people that help provide things for us or for you. Physicaltherapy.com slash one free course. John, I'm surprised that your job wasn't with Myotech. Uh, You said, yeah, I'm going to be leading a division of, and I thought you were going to say sales at Myotech. I I, I was sure that's what you were going to tell me today. Yeah, one of the first people to reach out to me was actually Ken uh, Sissels, who's the CEO of Myotech, uh, to you know, give me some words of encouragement and discuss how things are going. So who knows? There may be a job offer out there, but for now we're, we're going to concentrate on some other stuff. But uh, they're, they're a great company, and if our paths cross in the near future, I wouldn't mind um, spending some time with Myotech. So. Mark Pro is uh, another really cool uh, deal. You can use DSMB if you're buying it for on your own. Again, the device is probably around 600 bucks or so, um, and that'll save you, I think, 10 or 
anyways, enter that code. That helps you get a discount. And then I think it sends me, like if I get four people to buy it, then we get a free one here at the school. So it's pretty cool, but you got to buy it on your own, not through the school. So, and then also I, um, AT corner podcast, they're kind of taking over the AT discount sheet I had. So check that out for a more updated version. So if you want to go to sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash AT corner, they're kind of taking that over. So I made that little short link for them. Uh, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash make your bed is the link to this show. And again, our word of encouragement is you're not alone. Reach out, ask for help, and and then go from there, right? Jeremy Jackson, John Seco, the Sports Medicine Broadcast. October is our leadership month. That is a wrap.